welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Please remain standing and pray with me. Come Holy Spirit now and enliven the Word of God in our ears and apply it to our hearts. Lord God, come in power among your people. Please, Lord, use um, this this jar of clay, this clay pot, uh, Lord, to bear the treasure of the kingdom to your people this morning. So, Lord, may the words that I speak be pleasing to you, and may the message of the gospel be clear in our hearing. And We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to be back after a few weeks of vacation, a couple of weeks of vacation. It was actually, that was, it was great. Thank you for letting us get away. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll show you the pictures sometime. It was wonderful. I uh, got, got a lot of relaxation done, and I did realize that I probably could handle retirement, that, uh, that I could probably cope with that. Uh, I hear people, oh, you'll never want to retire. No, I, I think I could overcome retirement and be just fine with it. Um, this has been a very full week, a week, as you might expect, coming back from vacation and uh, a lot of things going on and some we'll talk about later. And I, re- uh, I want you to know as we smell all this good food being cooked, it, it made me think of Instant Pots. Uh, you know, I got one of those on Prime Day. I'm so happy with my Instant Pot. This is an Instant Pot sermon. It was, uh, it was done under pressure and with very little prep time. So... <laughs> But, but this, this passage that we hear this morning in Luke's gospel falls under the heading of things that we think that maybe Jesus should not have said. I mean, listen to this. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> That's just so encouraging. You know, I'm pretty sure that he did not focus group that passage. I mean, I can just hear the conversation. Uh, Hi, Jesus. Uh, Yeah, yeah, this is Bob in marketing. uh, Yeah, Bob in gospel marketing. Well, we've we've been going through your most recent teaching, and uh, we've knocked it around down here on the sixth floor, and that's really not the kind of inclusive message that we were going for. Uh, we're, we're, we're not looking for that kind of branding. I mean, think about it, Jesus. Have you thought about it? I mean, what's it going to sound like? Church of the narrow door? Church of the closing door? How about, how about try this one, Jesus, church of the open door? Yeah, that, that polled really well with millennials and baby boomers. So try that one on. So, so seriously, what, you've got to be old enough to remember those Bob Newhart sketches to really get what just happened then. Yeah, but that's a whole other story. Seriously, though, what's going on here? Well, the context of chapter 13 of Luke's gospel is what we call Luke's travel narrative, which actually begins in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 where it says, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go 
to Jerusalem. And so from Luke chapter 9 to the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem where he will fulfill God's mighty acts of salvation through his suffering, death, and resurrection. And along the way, he is teaching about the kingdom of God as he travels through towns and villages. And that's where we find ourselves here in chapter 13 of Luke. And in one of these teaching stops along the way, someone calls out from the crowd, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, that question is actually from a Jewish religious context. In other words, he's asking, Rabbi, is all of Israel going to be saved or will there only be a few that enter the kingdom? Because you see, for most everyone in Israel, in in that context, first century Judaism, there was no doubt, there was no doubt that the vast majority of Gentiles would be condemned and excluded from the kingdom. And most rabbis of the first century taught that all of Israel, with the exception of a few notorious sinners, would be saved. So the questioner wants Jesus to weigh in on that question that's up for debate in Judaism in that time. Will those who are saved be few or will many be saved? And Jesus's answer is typically Jesus-like. It's subversive. And in essence, he replies to the crowd because it says, when it says strive, strive to enter, the word there is in the plural. So he's speaking to the whole group. He said, he basically says this, the question is not whether few will be saved, The question is, will you be saved? Who is going to be saved from death and judgment, and who is going to be granted eternal life? Who's going to enter the everlasting joy and celebration of God at that great messianic banquet at the end of the age? And then in a very Jesus kind of way, he then just begins to systematically subvert their expectations. So here's the message that Jesus gives in response to the question. First of all, the door to salvation is narrow. It's a narrow door. And then the door to salvation is closing. It's a closing door. And finally, the, we can't enter that door. We can't enter the door of salvation based on our own criteria. And so that very first thing that Jesus says really does sound kind of offensive in modern ears. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And that doesn't really sound kind of like the gospel we expected to hear. There are, in fact, Jesus says, going to be insiders and outsiders in the kingdom. Some will be excluded. Participation prizes, participation prizes will not be awarded. Jesus, disappointingly, is not a universalist. Instead, Jesus says to strive to enter the narrow door. And that word strive is, is instructive. It's agonesimai, agonesimai. It's where we get the word agony from. That, that word to enter the narrow door represents striving to enter the narrow door. Almost immediately thinks, we think, is that, is that works righteousness? No, no, it's, he's not talking about strive like, man, you better work really hard. 
you know, it, I'm going to be checking your tithing records, uh, your church attendance, you know, whether or not you went to a small group. You know, it's not works righteousness. Instead, what, what this means is wholehearted, uh, the giving of the whole self in action and attitude. Jesus says, if you want to enter this gate, you cannot treat him as an accessory. It's not an accessory, but wholehearted engagement. It's not about an attitude of, I will get around to it at some day. It's not about being vaguely spiritual as long as it is convenient uh, and as long as it doesn't really encumber me very much. That's not what gains entry to the narrow door. That word, agonesthemai, is the same word that it is used for combat, for the struggle of battle. It's the word, it's a term used for the battlefield, not for the recliner. It's the word used about combat in the arena. It's the word used for competition in the Olympic games in the ancient world. It's a wholehearted striving. It's like, think about athletes who are Olympic-grade athletes. Their whole lives are geared to the one goal of making the team and competing and winning a prize from a group of people that will be the best from all around the globe. That's the kind of intensity of thought that goes into this desire to enter the kingdom. We can't just tack it on. It's not an also-ran in our human experience. It's the very center of our being. That's the kind of intensity Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, enter through the narrow door. And immediately I want to say, well, what kind of door is that? Well, I have to go all the way over to John's gospel, but I'm informed in John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The narrow door is the entry through Christ alone. But the door is closing. The scripture says, Jesus says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. You see, there will be a time when the opportunity to respond to the gospel of salvation comes to an end. The door, that door, that shut door is both a personal door and it's an eschatological door. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's a personal door because we can, by constant rejection of Christ, by constantly refusing to respond to the good news, become incapable of repentance. Usually, the older we get, the harder it becomes to repent. Some of us have been on a lifelong project of hardening our hearts, all the while consoling ourselves that there's always time to change. But the reality is when we would like to change at some point, we have lost that capacity. I've seen this in people's lives. They have come to the point where they are so entrenched on their trajectory, they cannot genuinely repent. We lose that capacity. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says in, the, in a couple of verses right before the passage we heard this morning, it, talks, it says, don't be like Esau. Esau was you know, uh, one of those patriarchal figures back in Genesis. 
He says, uh, don't be like you know, Esau and Jacob, they were twins. Uh, so don't be like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Man, I'd give up my inheritance for some of that good taste in food you're making. Okay, I'll take that deal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. There comes a time when repentance cannot be attained. Eventually the door is shut, and it will be shut for us, certainly by our own deaths. But there's also an eschatological shutting of the door. The day is coming when Christ will call the age to an end. We say it every Sunday. He will come again. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Good Bishop Ryle, J.C. Ryle, great bishop of the Anglican Church of the 19th century, says of this passage, we are told of a time when the master of the house shall rise and shut the door, when some shall say, sit down in the kingdom, when some shall sit down in the kingdom of God, and others be shut out forevermore. About the meaning of these words, there can be no doubt. They describe the second coming of Christ and the day of judgment. A day is coming on the earth when the patience of God towards sinners, says good Bishop Ryle, shall have an end. The door of mercy, which has been so long open, shall at last be shut. The fountain opened for all sin and uncleanness shall at length be closed. The throne of grace shall be removed and the throne of judgment be set up. The great assize of the world shall begin. All that are found impenitent and unbelieving shall be thrust out forever from God's presence. Men shall find that there is such a thing as the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb, Revelation 6, verse 16. There's something particularly striking in our Lord's language in this prophecy. It reveals to us the dreadful fact that men may see what is right when it is too late for them to be saved. There is a time coming when many will repent too late and believe too late, sorrow for sin too late, and begin to pray too late, be anxious about salvation too late, and long for heaven too late. Myriads shall wake up in another world and be convinced of truths which on earth they refused to believe. Earth is the only place in God's creation where there is the possibility of unbelief. Hell itself is nothing but truth known too late. Powerful words. We can't enter that door, however, based on that narrow door, that closing door. We don't get to enter the narrow door based on our own criteria. We don't get to enter based on our terms. We don't get to enter based on our timetable, but on the terms that are set by the master of the house. In verse 26, Jesus says that many people will present their own personally... Listen, they will present criteria their own personally selected criteria and credentials for entry into salvation. Verse 26, then you will begin to say, here are my criteria. This is why you should let me in. But we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. 
But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. But then you will begin to say, but we tweeted the right things. And we were on the right side of history. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, you evildoers. See, I don't know where you come from is just another way of saying, I don't even know who you are. And that tells us that the key that unlocks this door, the key of salvation, is relationship. It's to be known by Christ. I don't know you, he says to them. You know, having eaten with him and heard him teach, and I thought about this, and I, and, and in my mind, I, you know, how would a, how would a third century patristic Christian think about, uh, those words? Didn't we, didn't we eat with you? Jesus, I was, I received the sacrament every Sunday. Whoa. Didn't we eat with you? You taught in our streets. I heard the word of God proclaimed. I heard the gospel proclaimed every Sunday. I don't know where you come from. Go away from me. We can't appeal to just being acquainted with Jesus or going through external rituals. Having eaten with him and heard him teach without a saving relationship with him, without the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, which is the new birth that comes through our repentance for sin and accepting God's provision for our salvation, Jesus Christ alone, casting our whole existence upon him and his mercy without that. It's not enough to just be acquainted. Yet we tend to construct our own terms for salvation of who the good guys are or who gets in and who gets excluded. And we tend to construct it around. <clears throat> I'm speaking from personal experience here, y'all. It's not about they. <laughs> this is about me. We tend to construct it around our own desires and tastes and self-generated standards of righteousness. It is a subjective enterprise that is informed and shaped by the spirit of the age, what's going on around us instead of being formed and shaped by God's word. Essentially, what is the, what does man praise? What is the praise of man? Now that's going to be my criteria for salvation. You know, we're all familiar with the stereotype of the self-righteous church lady. And if you, if you remember, you know, sort of classic Dana Carvey skit, church lady skit, Google it, go to YouTube and look at it. It's pretty funny. You know, that stereotype of the self-righteous churchy person or Flannery O'Connor's Mrs. Turpin. Those people are making fun of those people. That's like shooting fish in a barrel because those are those people. But the triumphantly self-righteous Mrs. Turpins of the world have been replaced by an equally unctuous, self-righteous, post-Christian, secular person wrapped in the fashionable morality of trendy dietary rules, virtue signaling, and being outraged at exactly the right thing to be outraged about. Whether it is the self-righteous religious person or the self-righteous secular person, it is setting up our own criteria to enter the gate. 
If we, re- if we refuse, though, to enter through the narrow gate of Jesus and instead demand our own terms, we will be excluded from the kingdom of God and from the joy of that kingdom. And Jesus says, in that place of exclusion, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. That, that, term, that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, represents the inconsolable regret, weeping regret, and rage, gnashing of teeth in rage, for having missed the moment of salvation. I should be feasting in the kingdom, but here I am stuck outside, shouting in the bouncer's face, don't you know who I am? Nope. Nope. We are too far concerned about being on the right side of history when we need to be concerned about being on the right side of the narrow door. Now, after all that, is that gospel? Is that good news? Is the narrow and, cl- the, narrow and the closing door, is that good news? Well, first of all, yes, it is in this sense. Here it is, brothers and sisters. Whether we like it or not, God treats us as if our choices matter. He treats us not as perpetual adolescents, but as adults. He bestows upon us in His sovereign will the dignity of our decisions. That's good news. We're treated, God treats us with respect. But the great news is that that door is not shut today. It is not a shut door. That door is open today, and Jesus pleads with us to come to Him in faith and with repentance. And that plea, in the way that He phrases it here, is an urgent plea, and it demands our wholehearted response. Thanks be to God, though, that He does plead with us. This morning, as we come to His table and we eat with Him, I encourage you to examine your heart. Lord, am I, is there any agnesthemai, any, any intensity left in my relationship with You? And if not, at that moment of receiving His precious body and blood, Won't you say, Lord Jesus, I've heard you teach in the streets and now I'm receiving you, Lord, but I pray that I will receive this sacrament rightly so that it works salvation in me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.